Uh, we're here once again in booth one, celebrating the art of lively conversation, romping through the best and most current in the performing arts and popular culture. I'm Gary, alongside my partner, Roscoe, and we've been on a brief hiatus this summer, and uh, we've each taken short vacations, but we're back in the booth, so to speak, with a brand new episode for your listening pleasure. How was your time off, Roscoe? Where did you go? I went to Hollywood, California. <laughs> Am I screaming at you? <laughs> that's, that's a lot of excitement there. Yes. I was very excited. I was in Hollywood. Oh, this was your annual Cinecon trip. It was. I, I spent five days in the dark watching 25 old movies. That... You know, we haven't covered your Cinecon uh, visit since episode 16. It just comes to mind. Wow. It's one of my favorite episodes. Before we get too far into your Hollywood experience... We haven't gotten far at all. No, not at all. We haven't even gotten there. Our guest in the booth is writer, director, stage, screen, and television actor, producer, and recent Chicago (laughs) re-arrival, Mr. Paul Strolley. And we're out of time. Ah, Thank thank you. you. I appreciate it. Paul's a (laughs) one-man autobiographical comedy straight up with a twist, enjoyed over 1,400 performances nationwide, including a twice-extended off-Broadway run. Paul's new Chicago... Chicago residency includes the current direction of the 2016 production of the new Tony and Tina's Wedding Experience. Tony and Tina's Wedding, yes. Fantastic. Always a wild way to spend an evening of dining, dancing, and laughter. There is dining, (laughs) dancing, and laughter, is there not? Hopefully in that sequence. (laughs) Yes, You will be directing the dining and the dancing and the laughter. First you will dine. It's a German Brauhaus. First you will dine, then you will laugh. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's going to hurt me. (laughs) Paul also... I'm still uh, getting over Cinecon, because so you said that, I'm like, oh, naughty prisoners. What is that? Cinecon. Cinecon. May I, may I speak for 30 seconds about Cinecon? <laughs> you, you, you I'm may. interrupting your flow. Let, let me just tell you, Roscoe, that Paul was also the co-host of a Los Angeles radio program <gasps> called oh. State of the Arts with Michael Sterling. With Michael Sterling, yes, which Michael is still doing. He with, is. Uh, Andrew David James, my equally or more talented replacement. Let's say that. He took over for me. There, I, yeah. I don't know. But I've listened to a couple of those. You were quite, you were quite splendid. It was on fun. Them. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Does Michael Sterling still have his supper club? Where yes, they he does. Michael Sterling, uh, Sterling's upstairs at the Federal. It was upstairs at, at Vitello's for a while. Vitello's, which is uh, known as the place where Robert Blake didn't shoot his wife. Oh, right. Because, uh, oh, wow. you know, when you think, why would Robert Blake do so? Because I've you know, met Robert Blake once, and as my father, the carpenter, would say, half a bubble off plum. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, so, uh, no, but he was at Vitello's for a while, and he was so successful at Vitello's that he had to get a larger venue. So now yeah. he's at the Federal uh, Bar and Restaurant. In, Is that uh, downtown, Hollywood. Studio no, City? No, North, North Hollywood. North it's, a- Ho- it's actually the oldest building in North Hollywood, uh, in the Valley. It was an old. The Federal was an old bank, and interestingly enough, the stage uh, is a uh, was where the vault was. Uh-huh. So the stage that they've built and everything—it's a great room. Who would perform there? Oh, the Michael gets club? a lot of uh, Broadway performers that are in town. He's had back about eight times a John Lloyd Young, who created the role of uh, Frankie Valley in Jersey Boys. Oh, great! And uh, he keeps coming back. Boy, he's got some fans that are. Let's just, I think the polite word is militant. They're very, you know, they line up outside Loyal, and everything. Yeah, 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 fantastic. And the pipes, the Frankie Valley pipes. Oh, yeah, man can just, uh, the way he sings is just angelic, really. It's just, uh, and, and also it's a brutal role because you think, you know, we look at musicals from years ago and a person might have three or four songs and it was all dissipated through different characters. And you get to something like Jersey Boys, it's like, something like 30 songs and all him and the guys. It's just like, it's an endurance test. Except when I saw Jersey Boys, the cast had been stricken with typhoid fever or something (laughs) and every possible swing and, you know, they they flew in like the Wednesday matinee standby (laughs) from the Tupelo production. I don't remember Frankie Valli being Asian. Well, yes, and and Jersey Boys sort of falls apart if the guy playing Frankie Valli can't sing the role. Yeah. That was was my... One sour that's experience. Sort of, that's sort of required for Valley. Yes, yes. <laughs> Very little is required yes. except to be short and be able to sing. Yes, get those notes. <laughs> How, let's get back to your Cinecon experience, Roscoe. How was it this year? Cinecon was is as exciting as always. What this is, Paul, yeah, is since yeah. you haven't been, it's a convention of film nerds. And let me tell you, we are about the nerdiest people in the world. We make Lost in Space conventions look exciting and hip. And the purpose of this is to show films that 
American films, mostly, that have been in the vaults for one reason or another. They haven't been shown on TV. There's rights problems. There have been no screenable copies available. So, for example, the first night, they showed three films. A Spencer Tracy film from 1935 called Looking for Trouble, which, as far as anyone could tell, had never been seen on television. It had been virtually unseen for 80 years. A restoration of a late silent film called The Last Warning, which was a comedy horror film set in a Broadway theater, which was filmed on the the same sets that Phantom of the Opera was filmed on. Again, this was a new restoration. And then they showed a beautiful, thrilling, high-budget Gary Cooper movie from 1930 when Gary Cooper was about the most handsome man in America. And this uh, he is was a, chiseled out of marble. He was days. chiseled out of marble yeah. and lean and they ripped his shirt off in the final sequence. Mm. Not to sound creepy. Cynicon! Cynicon! <laughs> uh, and this is were a there f- hoops and hollers in the audience? <laughs> there were hoops and hollers among the very hip aging homosexuals <laughs> <laughs> dotting the balcony. Uh, but- aging homosexuals. That was a band I sang with in college. <laughs> <laughs> the aging homosexuals. Uh, and again, this is a movie that no one's ever seen because when they pulled it out of the vaults to show it on TV, they discovered that two of the 10 reels were extremely damaged. So there's no complete print. So you were able to see eight thrilling reels of a beautifully staged and photographed movie wow. that, again, hasn't been seen since its release. Were the lost to the end of the movie? No, they were. Oh, it, was, oh. it was like reel seven and nine. Oh, oh. So, but they're very damaged and the, the image just wasn't there. It just had disintegrated. Yeah, any big stars show up this year? And sometimes you have uh, you know, old-time stars the, who are Gary honored. Cooper was actually Gary there. Cooper was there. <laughs> no, there was... Did he take a shirt well, off? Well, I, I will tell you, the first... The, yes. The it was first, Gary Coleman, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it was Gary, Gary Coleman. The the first film was directed by William Wellman, who was famous mm-hmm. for directing Wings. Mm-hmm. So his son, William Wellman Jr., came up to introduce the movie. Wings was the first uh, Oscar winner. Uh, the picture, first Oscar right? winner, yeah. yes. Yeah. And the only star that showed up in this was, she's been there a number of times, it was still exciting, a 1944 Columbia movie called None Shall Escape, which is about the Holocaust. But an American film made about the Holocaust, in which the final in scene in '44, and it, it's believed to be the only film that actually portrayed it. Wow. And at the end, all of the Jews are being evacuated from a Polish town, and the rabbi asks if he can speak, and he gives an impassioned speech, and then begs everyone in the boxcars to fight back, and they start to fight back, and they're all gunned down. And it oh, was Lord. unbelievable that this happened in American film in 1944. Well, the star of the movie, Marsha Hunt, is still alive. And she was at the screening and stood up and spoke about the movie. Wow. And, and she was later blacklisted uh, during the uh, McCarthy era. She's all of 99 years old. Wow. And was sharp as a tack and said what was interesting about this profound and unbelievable movie is that made absolutely no impact when it was released. It was just another movie that came and went in a week. Amazing. But but we were the audience was was we can't use the word thrilled on this broadcast. Yes, you we've can. Been, yeah, can no, you we've can. been banned. We I use the word thrilled too much or thrilling. Oh, right. but you look you're looking concerned. Paul. No, no, no. I'm 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 not concerned. I'm fascinated because this is right up my alley. I would be right there with you. I'll be at the next one. This is all really right. Okay. Oh, great. Um, because you're still talking about. Are you the silent film buff? Are you the one? Uh, sort of. Okay. So I, Are I, you thrilled by silent films? I am thrilled by silent films. <laughs> you find films. them thrilling? Yeah. Okay. Can I throw in one more? Laurel and Hardy made three films that are lost. One is called The Battle of the Century, which was famous for being the ultimate pie fight movie. Okay. Where there's a pie fight that uses 3,000 custard pies. <laughs> the film has been lost forever. Someone found it, and they had the first screening of it at this. And it's as, it's as funny as a movie Ever was. Did you go when you were there? Did you go to the Laurel and Hardy steps on past past trips? Or uh, I, I tell us the music box, the the mm-hmm. short, the music box, Academy Award winning short that uh, Laurel and Hardy did. They're moving a piano up a, a set of stairs, and the stairs are still there in Echo Park, and there's a little plaque and everything, and they go up next between two buildings, and they, of course, in the film, they get the piano all the way to the top, and then it comes down. But uh, it's just a wonderful thing to go check out because you just feel the ghosts there. It's great. Wow, yeah. I have not checked. That up. No, you should. You should. Okay. And there's another. Speaking of lost films, there's a what is supposedly the first appearance of the Tramp before a Charlie Chaplin's Tramp before Kid Auto Races at Venice because that was supposed to be the first appearance of the Tramp. But there's one called the Ice Cream Parlor that was shot 
on Lincoln Avenue here in Chicago, across the street from where John Barleycorns used to be, because Chaplin filmed here before he went uh, to yeah. to uh, yeah. L.A. Uh, before he built uh, that whole little Tudor uh, SNA Studios. Well, uh, yeah, he was here at yeah, SNA, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, SNA. Yes, that is supposed to be like the silent equivalent of the day the clown cried. You know, the film that no one, <laughs> yeah. the film that no, for for different reasons. You know, as far as being elusive, not as far as being the most yeah. terrible film yeah. ever made. <laughs> so it just I, it sounds like if anyone, your group would be able to trap that, I, track I, that bad boy. Yes, then. yeah. We'll follow but, up on uh, that. Yeah. Make notes. So if you would, if you would research that Chaplin for me, I'd appreciate right. it. <laughs> nice. Paul, tell us a little bit about some of your favorite guests that you had on your L.A. show, State of the Arts. Well, um, my favorite my favorite show would have been uh, when uh, the tour of the live tour of uh, West Side Story came through, and we had uh, George Chakiris and Russ Tamblin on the same show. And, in the studio uh, at in the, the same studio, time. In the studio, yes. And so we had Riff and Bernardo on the same show. And that was just like, I was, I don't get nervous. Uh, I, I met a good number of famous people in my time with, between the radio show and uh, a couple of, of small things that I've done. And they don't really, there are people that if I met, I would be nervous. If I met Tom Waits, I would be nervous. If I met Leonard Cohen, I would be nervous. If I, there's certain people if I met them because of, of where the esteem in which I hold them. But I was nervous on this one because it's just like history. You weren't just in a movie. You were in a, a, an iconic piece of pop culture. So that was a great one for me. I really enjoyed that. Having Lorraine Newman on was an absolute joy. Original, not ready for primetime players. Yeah. Richard Chamberlain. Was uh, was a joy to talk to. Yeah, was he? And he's a handsome man. And he thought it was uh, shot, so he showed up and he had makeup on and he was all <laughs> set to be on the air. And then we told him that it was radio, and he was just so it was okay. Well, I look good for radio, you know. <laughs> and uh, so he was he was a blast. The uh, George Went was a lot of fun. Part of it is that Michael, my, my former co-host, is very much into... I enjoy musical theater, but I'm not as much into musical theater as Michael is. Michael is far more interested in if it, if it sings and tap dances. So I, <laughs> I would bring in some of the more um, edgy local theater. Because L.A. is an incredibly tough theater market. Because there's a, there's a tremendous amount of bad theater in Los Angeles mm. because a lot of people cut their teeth on these film and TV courses that they take or whatever or classes that they go to and they don't have stage chops and and they also a lot of people view it as always a springboard to film and television they don't look at it like you know for the art that it is so you see a lot of showcases you see a lot of showboating now that being said there's such a volume of theater in Los Angeles that even with that amount of dreck that's there, there's still an incredible amount of good theater, too. That, to me, was a, a great deal of fun, is, is shining attention on uh, shows that maybe didn't have a million-dollar advertising budget and were able to get some attention paid to them. Sure, you had Carol Lawrence on your show at oh, one point, too, well, didn't you? Carol Lawrence was the first show, the very first show, and uh, she got stuck in... The, the uh, very stuck, first the one? The very first broadcast. She got there, she got stuck in the elevator... The building was closed because it was Memorial Day. She sat down. She spilled water in her lap. She was sitting in water the whole time. But the second show was Carol Channing. And that was the audio train wreck of the ages. Because she was a phoner, doesn't hear well, and was on a speakerphone. So all of those things oh together. Oh, my God. So I talked to her. <laughs> we're out the air for about five minutes. And she goes, when are we going to be on the radio? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, we, we've been on for five minutes, Miss Chatting. And she goes, oh, hello. <laughs> so we get, we're on with her for a while. And, oh, we were talking about arts and schools because she and her husband are very, uh, very devoted to keeping arts programs alive in the schools. Because it's fertilizer on the brain. <laughs> so uh, the arts are fertilizer on the brain. She was reciting some Edna... St. Vincent Millay poem, and we uh, the lines just went dead. It just was nothing. So she's like, and thou did nothing. And, and it's very difficult on the podcast to get the guests back 
from your call. We always tell people, here's the phone number. If we get disconnected, call back call in. Call back, it's far yeah, easier sure. to take it. So Michael and I are just vamping, and the phone rings after it's disconnected. And she goes, I'm sorry, I was gesticulating, and I hung <laughs> up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> so that one, if you go back, that's actually still in the archives, if you go back. Awesome. And Michael, Michael and I had done one show, and it, that audio train wreck afterwards. So that was... That was just one where you're just like, you're a little sticky after that one. It's just sitting and sweating. Yeah. We but, had uh, Sheeta Rivera on the show um, at one point. We went to her. Oh, did you? Yeah, we went to visit her in New York, and uh, we were in her hotel room at the uh, Carlisle. Carlisle Hotel. And uh, we <laughs> sat around this desk that's about maybe a, a quarter size of this table that we're sitting around, and we were all hunched over, really close to each other. It was, a, it was an awesome experience. But You had to sit on the bed. I sat We had the mixing board on the board on the foot of the bed. Yeah, we sat on the bed. She was wonderful, and I, I, I know exactly what you're saying about feeling like you're in the presence of somebody, yeah, yeah. not just a big star, but someone who's iconic. Yeah, you can't believe that... You forget that they're people. You know, they're yeah. just so... Yeah. They're so important to you artistically that you realize that... You have to realize again, okay, it's just a person. Can I ask you this? With George Shakiris... Here's the awkward thing with someone like George Shakiris. He wins an Oscar for West Side Story. It's a legendary film. It's a movie that I've seen more times than I can count. Wow. Nothing else ever happened to him. Yeah, I know, I know. And so how do you, doesn't he say, I'm tired of talking about something I did 60 years ago? No, I think that he's sort of, uh, it, it's sort of like a little treasure for him. He was actually talking about, uh, he has a very successful line of jewelry that he designs, believe it or not, and it's really beautiful stuff. It's not just like, you know, at the farmer's market between mm -hmm. the squash in, and In the, fact, you know, if you go to his website, yeah. you don't see a picture of him dancing. You see pictures of his jewelry yeah, on, the, yeah, on the title yeah. page. Yeah. It, it's quite lovely. It's yeah. mostly sterling, silver Yeah, stuff. no, it's, it's actually very, very nice yeah. stuff. But I, I think that the way that he talks about it, it, it's sort of like this little this little gift that he has, and I know he he enjoys talking about it. He said as much. I asked him this. I didn't ask him on the air because I, you know, it was about the local production of West Side Story. So, I, but beforehand, he said he goes, "Oh no, I just it's such a you know a time in my life that I, is just so treasured." But that is interesting. I never thought about that. Didn't and and he's an imposing guy too. I've met him before, and he He's very intense. Yeah. But but from looking at the movie, he looks like he weighs ninety pounds. Yeah. And in real life, he's a big strapping guy. Yeah, he must, yeah. He well was, over six feet tall. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a good sized guy. Russ Tamblin is all is also a very sort of energetic. I I didn't realize that Amber Tamblin was his daughter, the yeah. actress. Mm -hmm. And he talked about her a great deal. But I do think that these guys just sort of, you know, when they do talk about this stuff, they're received like conquering heroes. So, I mean, I would think you'd have to, you'd have to love that. Let's talk a little bit about this upcoming production of sure. Tony and Tina's Wedding. Tony and Tina's Wedding, yes. Now, I've seen Tony and Tina's Wedding. Have you seen Tony and Tina's I Wedding? I have seen Tony and Tina's Wedding, and I, I'm able to peg it to where I was working at the time. So... It's been 22 years, I believe. How long did it run in Chicago originally? Oh, uh, 16 years. Yeah, I Holy saw. Cow. I saw it at the. I saw yeah. it at the um, uh, Piper's, Piper's Alley, Alley in yeah. in the mid 90s for sure. Yeah. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would enjoy it because I didn't think audience participation was going to be kind of my thing. Right. But I I thought it was really actually quite funny and over the top many times. You had an interesting experience uh, at Tony and Tina's, didn't you? Roscoe? You want me to tell that on the air? Sure, why not? Oh my God, it was horrifying. I had to be one of the people who tipped the stripper. Oh, you were brought up for that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it made me nervous to put a dollar bill in a woman's barely there. That was, that was a very, very long pause after. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, I, was, I was sweating bullets I mean, there. I don't remember that production of <laughs> did, did I make this up? Doesn't that happen? Where oh, you yeah, get people yeah. To yeah. We actually up. rehearsed that scene today, actually. Wow. Yeah, that, and the scene was Maddie uh, Nunzio, uh, Tony's father's uh, girlfriend. Did you rehearse yeah. it over and over and over and over? Privately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's different about this production as opposed to the one that was here in Chicago many years ago. I will tell you, I have to sort of dance around this, but I will, I will, I will tell you. The, the beauty of the original production of Tony and Tina's Wedding, and, and I feel the first production that we did in Chicago, was that it is not that if a, a Disney created Greaseball Land, it would be this. <laughs> they are, they're real people. They're heightened uh, characterizations, of course. But it's not, 
it doesn't hinge on stereotype. It doesn't hinge on... Yeah, it's really... It's not just an Italian wedding. It's a Greek wedding. It's a Puerto Rican wedding. Yeah. It's an African-American wedding. It's anything where family drives you nuts. It's that wedding. Yeah. You know, the heart of it is in the truth of the portrayals. And as I, as I said, even though they're, they're heightened, they're still real people. And what happens with productions like this, if they run for a good long time, it's sort of like when you watch a sitcom that's been on for 12 years. And say you look at All in the Family and you look at what Carol O'Connor did the first year of All in the Family. And then you look at the last season of Archie Bunker's Place. And you see what happens is that they become caricatures of themselves upon caricatures of themselves upon character. And it's exponential. And it's, it gets so big and so uh, overblown that... It's not Tony and Tina's wedding anymore. It's like a theme park attraction. And one of the things I'm really excited about the Chicago production is going back to that heart that of this show of 1988 in Greenwich Village in New York City and getting that vibe back. We've tried to do an even further nod to that era by Tina's mother, the conceit in the show is that Tina's mother has picked the music and she's a child of the 80s so <laughs> it's all it's an 80s themed wedding so we're actually encouraging people to come you know in their 80s regalia if they have it and all the music awesome. that the band plays is all 80s music and uh, of course Mrs. Vitali, I only wore this dress once. You wear it, Tina, so it's an 80s uh, uh, you know, gown. That's my hope. That's my hope. And, and I think we're equipped to do that. While we have brilliant improvisers in these roles, we also have really sharp, proper actors. And you know, Tony and Tina's really created this genre of the immersive, uh, interactive show. And then everyone copied it. You can copy the style, you can't copy the heart. And, and that's one of the things that I'm really excited about bringing back. And also, on a personal level, I'm so tired. I, I'm, I'm viewing the show as sort of a preemptive strike against political correctness because I'm so tired of the politically correct. Chicago is a town that embraces laughing at ourselves. I found this to be very true. I used to do studio audience warm-up when I was here. I used to do warm-up for the Jenny Jones show. Well, mm -hmm. warm-up is a generous term. I, I used to say, <laughs> I chum the water, basically. Is what I, do. <laughs> I dump the blood in and the sharks come. <laughs> and I noticed, and then I went to L.A. and I, and I did studio audience warm-up out there, and I bombed. I was fired. And I, it connected with me that I was doing Chicago warm-up to an L.A. audience. And everyone in L.A. was uh, just a little too cool for school and wouldn't get silly and wouldn't have fun and wouldn't do that. And, and, and in Chicago, but we, we'd have, you know, who's got the hairiest chess competition for a T-shirt? I mean, people do anything for a T-shirt, but they were just, it was fun, it was interactive. And that's why I th I'm excited about the response to uh, Tony and Tina. Something that's different about this production that you're working on and, and the one that was here in the 90s is that the wedding ceremony is actually at a separate Site, yes. Right. It's at an actual it's church. It's at Resurrection Lutheran Church on seminary. How, how, how do you get a Lutheran church to participate in fake weddings? The Lutherans are very, very forgiving people. <laughs> really? <laughs> are they? No. Uh, <laughs> a pastor, Pastor Kelly Falstich, is the uh, is the pastor over there, yeah. and, and a huge enthusiasm about live theater and and community and that. And it just it was one of those happy accidents that a, a block from the venue where the reception... Because originally, I believe, the the venue that was the reception was just going to have the wedding there. Yeah, yeah. And then someone said, you know, there's a church a block away. And right. uh, to talk to them, and they're over the moon about it. It's a perfect-sized church for the same sort of audience that we would have, you know, in both places. It, it, it couldn't be more perfect. Yeah. Well, well, walk us through this. And I'm buying a ticket to Tony and Tina's wedding. Right. And what's going to happen that night? I'm you, going to go to... You're, gonna go, you're going to experience a wedding as, as just as you're a guest of any other wedding. You're going to go to the church. You're going to be there for the ceremony. You're going to walk a block to the reception. You're going to go in. You're going to have a champagne toast. You're going to have a full Italian meal for dinner. You're going to get wedding cake. And just about everything that can go wrong at a wedding will go wrong. Mayhem the, ensues. Mayhem ensues, yes. And then how, how long? I mean, is this like a seven-hour evening in the theater? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's about 
two and a half or so. The ceremony is only about 30 minutes. And then people had to walk over. It's about 10. But it's a full, you know, it's like a full full reception. What kind of terrible things happened during the ceremony? Well, you Can you give a us a ticket for that? Okay, okay. Well, we were talking already that is, there, <laughs> well, yeah, there, is, we there is a stripper. You know, and it's really not, you know, it's really not like, like a disaster, like things go wrong yeah. or something. It's just that family member that mortifies you for whatever reason, imagine that there's 24 of them. <laughs> and that's sort of where we're jumping off. In this, of the in this open on the 22nd of September, is Opus, that still right? 22nd of September, yes. And, sort of uh, an open-ended run? Are you running through it, January or Right something? now we're running through Christmas, but there's already, I believe, it's about half a dozen sold-out performances already. And it's only I think it's only weekends and some Sundays. It's not like a seven-show, eight-show week or anything. So uh, I'll quickly give people a little information for tickets. And to learn more about Tony Tina's wedding, you can dial 312-391-0404. That's your personal home phone number. That is. <laughs> yes, that is. Please You're do. selling Share tickets out one. of your kitchen. And you know what? I'm up all the time. Sure. Call, so just call. Call yeah. anytime and, yeah. and let it ring. Yeah, just let it ring. Without, if you can't get through, just let it ring. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Oh, can I can I throw the website out there too? It's TonyLovesTina.com. That's probably a better. TonyLovesTina.com. TonyLovesTina.com. Yeah, right. and everything's there. What do I get with the VIP experience that I wouldn't get otherwise? Um, a massage. Uh, <laughs> five singles I'm to in. tip the uh, yes. strip stripper. Yes, yes. And rubber gloves. <laughs> rubber <Yes>. gloves. <laughs> no, the VIP is, uh, well, there are surprises for the VIP table, which, which we won't uh, reveal, but it's mostly proximity to the dance floor. They, if we were boxing, it would be ringside. Ringside yeah. So, So when I go, am I a character in the play? Well, 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 well Here, actors here's accost the, here's, me. And... Here's the other thing. Yes, you are. You're given a script. You have 50 minutes <laughs> to get your lines done. But actually, something you mentioned uh, as far as thinking you wouldn't enjoy it and then because it's interactive. The great thing about Tony and Tina is, is that you're as involved as you want to be. There are people who come and just sort of observe. There's other people that uh, the other audience members are convinced they're a member of the cast by the time the <laughs> evening is over. They're just convinced of it. Wow. You know? And this is an open bar. It's a cash bar, yes. Cash bar. Yeah. Do you have problems with sometimes the audience getting a little overserved? Oh, when we did it, oh yeah. We, well, when we did it at Piper's Alley, we would have that on occasion. When, when, when a guy is dancing on the dance floor without his pants on, you pretty much know you got to cut that guy off. Roscoe! And then, do you... <laughs> <laughs> Roscoe, put your Roscoe away. But it was nice of you to tuck a dollar into his pants <laughs> while you're there. Paul, you grew up in the, the East Coast, uh, in I Connecticut, did. and then you moved to Chicago for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, and then out to L.A. And 87 to 96, I was in uh, Chicago. And then you went out to L.A. For 20 years to the day. Can you believe that? And we didn't realize that until we, the moving truck came. So now you've moved back to Chicago. Yeah. yeah. When you were here previously, did you do much improv work? Did you, no, were you an no, improv guy? I didn't. I didn't do the, uh, the Second City route or anything like that because I... I always consider myself more of an actor. I did stand up briefly and I didn't enjoy it especially. I'm not especially good at it. And I, I like to feel more comfortable with what I bring to the table. That's why warm-up was fun because it was sort of both. It, it would seem to me that improv skills would come in pretty handy if you were in Tony and Tina's wedding so that you could deal with situations like you just described. Oh, yeah. And I think I got pretty proficient with it just out of necessity. Yeah. Yeah. Did improv exist when we were in college, Gary? I don't think we studied it. It was called ad-libbing. They ad just had a different, different word for it. <laughs> Making things up. Line. <laughs> well, this segues perfectly for me. We've mentioned on the air before that we're going to be part of the Chicago Podcast Festival. Our date now is Saturday night, November 19th. At 10 o'clock, we'll be performing live with our podcast, uh, Roscoe, at uh, the Steppenwolf in their new theater, the 1700 Theater. We've managed to secure a guest for that, and I think this is going to be a surprise to you because I haven't mentioned it to you. <coughs> Charna Halpern is going to be our guest, founder of the uh, Improv Olympic, now uh, called Just uh, the I.O. I -O. Please only call it I.O. We'll be sued. Yeah, and co-author of the famous book with Del Close, Truth in Comedy, which I'm going to lend you, by the way. Oh, terrific. <laughs> so she's going to be our guest on the podcast. Uh, she's agreed, and uh, we should have a lot of fun doing that. Again, it's oh, wow. November 19th. And she's, she's discovered everyone. Yeah. Everyone. 
Tina Fey. You can't get Michael more Myers, important than Sharna Halperin. Adam McKay. You, you can't really get bigger. This those is, are those the, the, the two names that you think of, Sharna Halperin and Doug Clouse. Clouse. Without question. Yeah. Yeah. This is a Booth One guest in a Booth One theater, in a Booth One time slot, with your hosts of Booth One. Perhaps we'll stay at the Ambassador East that night. I think we should wear tuxedos <laughs> for the show. I think we should. We've discussed We'll get that. Sharna to wear a formal gown. <laughs> should, like, like Kitty Carlisle. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's a chance. <laughs> to, tell the truth, right? to tell the yeah, truth. To tell the truth, yeah. yeah. Right, exactly. Let's talk about Straight Up with a Twist for a few minutes. This sure. is your one-man autobiographical show yes. where you portray your mother, Who's German descent, right? Yeah, she's, well, she's New York. New York. Said, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your father, who's an My Italian. Mother, yes. My uh, mother, very, very, very supportive. And your brother. <laughs> and you coined, this was before the phrase metrosexual was actually yeah. kind of most yeah. popularized. You coined the, the expression Renaissance geek Re- for yourself. Renaissance geek, yeah. And one of the things that identifies a Renaissance geek or a metrosexual is that you know how to fold a fitted sheet. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and don't call my house during Monday Night Football because that's when I vacuum. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> well, I know how to fold a fitted sheet. And no, yeah. do not call my house during Monday Night Football <laughs> or during the Notre Dame game. That yeah. would be a... Or well, golf. Um, one of my favorite lines in that show was when you're setting up a scene with your brother... And I forget his name in the show. John. John, yeah. <laughs> Setting up a scene with your brother, yeah. and he never knew what to make of you. Yeah. And they never knew what to make of you. I know the line you. you're going to say, too. And, and you go to this, you go to the yeah. fair or the right. carnival, the <laughs> local carnival, yeah. and a, a girl in these yeah. tight shorts, tight white shorts, walks yeah. by. And, of course, your brother's like, oh, yeah. hey, yeah. look at that, look at that. And you say, yeah. I wouldn't kick her out of bed for wearing white after Labor Day. <laughs> 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 yeah. So this, this, this is a one-man show? It was a one-man show that I did uh, in uh, L.A. We were supposed to do eight shows at the Gascon Center Theater. And uh, my friend Bill Penton, a, a old Chicago guy, I met him here. And he had moved out with his wife to uh, Jean... Uh, Gene Campbell's his wife, um, had moved out to Los Angeles, and Bill was running the theater at the time. I said, direct this little thing for me. And eight shows became 1,400 shows over nine years all over all over the country. This it's hilarious. A, There's, you, you can see it on his uh, website. You um, have to see me with brown hair way back when. PaulStroley.com. PaulStroley.com. Did you do yeah. a, a, an engagement here in Chicago? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did uh, about three months at the... There's a theater at the Broadway and Belmont. Uh, sure, the old Lakeshore Theater. Yeah, yeah. We did it there for about three months. We, it, we started it in 1999 was the, the first year we did Straight Up. So it was probably early 2000s that we did it there. But, and, you know, it's a, it was so many different places that I saw. And, and this is track. just you, flying solo. Yeah, yeah. It was all inspired by something my wife said. She said, you're like this gay friend I get to have sex with. <laughs> so, uh, and that was But sort she of, used a different word. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. We started talking about this. And, you know, there's really a lot of guys like this. And it's not, it's not about affectation. And it's not about manicures or anything like that. It's, my mindset was there were all of us that grew up you know, in the 70s, and I graduated high school in the early 80s, and women said they wanted us to be sensitive. So we learned how to do that, and then they changed their minds. <laughs> and, then, and then we were this lost group of just like, but no, he said you wanted this guy, you know? Yeah. And one of the, the other prepackaged laugh lines in the show that, we always, that always did well along those lines was to get through the whole show, and then it's about how Monica and I coming together and, and understanding one another. I said, you know, Monica and I, we, we love one another, but we, you know, we have our disagreements like anyone else. I mean, I'm not an unreasonable man to live with, but she, she's going to put the pillowcases on the bed with the openings facing in. I mean, what are we, animals? <laughs> 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 you know? And that, was, that really sums it up. Yeah, right my yeah. Are your parents still alive? Yes, they are. Yes. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they are. Man. And they're very, they must be so proud. They are. You know, Good. my mother is just like the classic, you know, stage man. She hires a crop duster and drops leaflets. You know, she's just like, <laughs> she, uh, she, and my 
father, my father's very supportive too. Everyone in the family was supportive of the show, and the only one I saw a little bit of a hitch with was my brother, because my brother's character is really exaggerated in the show. He's got this terrible habit that he can't quite stop of like thrusting his hips forward as he when he speaks. Yeah, it's it's weird. And as my mother said, it's a nervous tick, but it it borders on sexual assault. (laughs) (laughs) So. uh, and my brother was the one who said, uh, I said, John, how'd you like the show? You know, Paul, it was, it was great. It was great. I loved it. It was funny. I just think maybe I saw the, on the first page of the program, it was like extra space at the bottom. I thought maybe you could put something in there like, oh, these characters are extremely exaggerated. Because <laughs> 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 you got room. I saw it. There's a couple, just a couple <laughs> lines, you know. <laughs> so uh, my sister actually got pretty much edited out of it. She's, uh, she's referred to, but I don't portray her because we're so similar, my sister and I, that it was really going to the same well. I'm, I'm the male version of her, and she's the female version of me. So. Any plans on uh, remounting that now that you're back in Chicago? No, because uh, it's, it's a long time to do one thing, but mm. also it's sort of now that, I mean, we did this thing four years before anyone heard of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy and before anyone used the phrase metrosexual. I don't even, didn't even use it in the show because Renaissance Geek, as I said, is different. Than right. Me. But it would smell so much of it now that I think it would just, it would look a little formulaic, like, like trading on that. You know, 1,400 times is enough to do anything. I would and, think so. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this. We, we've asked some of our guests this before. You're, you are, are clearly a well-rounded, well-spoken, and multifaceted individual. Just reading off the pad. <laughs> if you had to choose another profession besides acting and show business in general, what might that be? Air conditioning and refrigerator. No, I don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's lucrative. Uh, if I had to choose something else, I don't write as much as I would like to. I do write, but... It's not so much about the profession. I would like to like the process more. Mm-hmm. Like I always tell people, they say, do you enjoy writing? I say, I hate writing, but I love having written. You know? They asked Kurosawa once. They said, uh, why, do you, uh, why do you make films? And he said, because so I have something to edit. <laughs> and that's the thing is I love the clay. If there were a way to write where someone would give me the first draft, I can edit and change and move around words and and that to me is is joy is just to to be able to do that it's the and i don't know if it's aging or or what about the process of getting that clay on the table is is difficult i do i do enjoy directing a great deal i haven't done it very much only about a dozen times i enjoy it a lot because it's sort of like everything about performing except the performance anxiety <laughs> and it's detail oriented and it's it's uh, it's collaborative and it's sharing with people and i like graphic design too i sort of dabble in that and mm. that's sort of just like directing with images yeah we all have our our prized possessions everybody has something that mm-hmm. they would never give away or sell for any cost I, i'm referring to something that i saw on your facebook page yeah. recently that uh, roscoe you'll be interested in this can you describe uh, like your most prized possession? I can, except um, someone has to chain Roscoe down because the He'll minute be right. the minute that he hears what they are, he's going to grab my keys, slit my throat, and go to Lincoln Square and steal them. <laughs> and Monica I- will go. Paul, you're home. Yes. Oh, it's Ross. <laughs> <laughs> and why is he tucking a dollar in my pants? <laughs> um, the, uh, That's the callback, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> See, it came back. Um, <laughs> the, uh, when we were doing uh, Straight Up at uh, the Gascon Center Theater with Bill Penson, we got a call from Grauman's Chinese Theater, and they said, we're gutting the theater and we're getting rid of all of these seats. Come and take. You can have whatever you can haul away. So... Bill went there and got about a dozen or so theater seats from Grauman's Chinese Theater. And they were destroyed. They were, they were duct taped and they, they were installed for a gentleman prefer blondes in 1953, I think. So that's when, that, that's when they went in. So they'd been there from 53 to 2000. This was 2000 this happened. They were 70 pieces of gum under one of them. That's the, the condition that was it. So I'm chipping yeah. them away and I'm sanding them and one of my my favorite people in the world, a gentleman named David George, who I met when I was in college. He was one of my college professors, and he and his wife uh, were one of the first producers, uh, some of the first producers of, of Straight Up. And uh, I told him that I had him, and I'm, I'm sanding them, and I'm polishing, and he's just, Paul, he's very, very low-key. He's like, 
Pong. Sandblasting and powder coating. <laughs> just take them somewhere, have someone do it. So two day, two weeks of scraping and all this, and I go to place, oh, yeah, we dip it in that, we dip it in that, and you're done. I'm like, I wish I knew this. So I go there, and I get them all sanded. The, the, the bill had the presence of mind to get the iron aisle caps, because those yes. are the rarity. Key. Because they're, they're, they don't finish. You know, they're just like a, a serpentine row, and you need those aisle caps, those iron pieces, to hold it together. So even though I only have two, I needed to seal them up. So uh, we had those, and then now I'm going to reupholster them. And there's a wonderful couple of gentlemen that uh, live here in town, Phil and his uh, partner, Tim, Phil I went to college with too and I told them that I had these theater seats and I said uh, I'm going to re- reupholster them you know and they're like well what are you going to use <laughs> and I was like I don't know I was thinking velvet or something they go 1953 mohair <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so I said yeah but do you know what upholstery grade mohair costs I mean and I needed like six yards of it because you have to have it The this is where the renaissance geek is showing the pile all has to go the same direction or else it looks like a different color and it's real you know dense so I'm not going to spend all this money on mohair so two weeks later uh, UPS arrives and Phil and Tim had sent me 15 yards of uh, upholstery grade mohair to to upholster these seats in what color oh like burgundy great So I go then to Rose Upholstery in uh, Hollywood, uh, and I go in, and I say, I want to reupholster these theater seats. And the guy says, that'd be about, be about $900 to reupholster these things. And I said, okay, well, I got 15 yards of upholstery-grade mohair in the car, and you can have whatever you don't use. He goes, I'll do it for two. <laughs> 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 so the only thing that was weird about it is that after I upholstered them, I sat in them, and I'm staring at the ceiling, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. They're built for a pitched floor. So Monica and I went to a movie at Grandma's Chinese, and I had a protractor in my pocket <laughs> and has dipped down and got matched the, the grade of the floor and, and got the pitch and then built a platform at that angle for the for the seats. And they're just gorgeous. They're just I would never ever part with them and they're just a beautiful, willingly. Beautiful He'd never beautiful. willingly part with <laughs> Where them. Where are my no. keys? Where are my keys? <laughs> what 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 is mohair? Uh, hair from most. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> and that's no, I, all we have time yeah, for on Booth One. Can we just get a soundbite of just that? Join us next week when we talk about Hair of Moe's. We might have to start another podcast uh, called Hair of Moe's. Hair of Moe's. <laughs> and we'll just talk about, you know, upholstery. Hair of Moe's. Next week, Hair of Curly and Shemp. Yeah. But this is Hair of Moe for now. The, Are you a Three Stooges fan? They always gave me the I'm creeps. I'm not. I'm not. I mm. don't like the Three Stooges. I like the Marx Brothers. Because the mm. Marx Brothers are far more literate and clever. I mean, not that I have anything against the physical comedy, but because of Marx Brothers, physical comedy is astounding. But it's sort of like Marx Brothers are like Monty Python. It's a smart silly. Yes. You know, it's it's silly, but it's a smart, yes. so it's a I'll, literate. I'll, I'll give you something to live for very quickly. Okay. A lot of the Marx Brothers films were re-edited after the Breen Code came in. They cut out things that were suggested. That was the, the censorship. Censorship. Yeah, yeah. They would slice them out of the negative. So recently they found a copy of Animal Crackers in Great Britain that has none of those slices oh, or allusions wow. And uh, they've restored it. It looks like a million dollars, and it comes out on video next month. Oh, I'll be so you will see a complete that. version of Animal Crackers for the oh. first time in seventy-five years. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So Marx Brothers, not the Stooges, right? Uh, I think there's, I think there's people uh, that are one or the other. Yeah, it's like uh, Tarantino said, you're either an Elvis person or you're a Beatles person. I yeah. think mm-hmm. that you're either a Marx Brothers person yeah. or a Three right. Stooges. Cubs or White Sox? Cubs. Oh, Cubs. Yeah. yeah. Deep dish or New York crust? I have to qualify this. I can't compare them because they are both their own thing. But I would have to say, if I was on a desert island, I could only eat one kind of pizza. <laughs> on a desert island that provides pizza. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and could only have it, it would probably be thin crust because I'm just, you know, grew up just outside of New York. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, well, wisely said. I think it's very tough to. But when compare. you're in the mood, the thing is, deep dish pizza is like sushi. When you're in the mood for it, no other cuisine replaces it. If you have deep dish on the brain, you're going to go, if Malnati's is full, you're going to go to Giordano's, you're going to go somewhere else. But when you have to have just a mouthful of 
cholesterol. Yeah. That's really the worst yeah. place to go. Yeah, you were speaking of writing uh, just a little while ago, and I wanted to mention briefly that you've written a short film yeah. that you also star in, and uh, were you part producer on this project as well? Yeah, off the record, yeah. yeah. Something called The Beating. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've, I've watched this short film. It's only about 11 minutes, mm-hmm. 11 minutes and a few seconds long. And um, is there anything autobiographical in this <laughs> film? Do you have children? No, you I have don't. no children. I don't. The main plot line is: Be you're, careful, you don't give it away. Though. You're you're a fairly eminent doctor of right. some sort, right? And there are teenagers involved. Yes. And there's some. Well, it's called the beating. So yes. there's some sort of violent actions involved in yeah. this as well, and it, it it's disturbing on one level. Yeah. Immensely entertaining. Where did this kind of idea come from for you? I, without sort of, giving too much yeah, away. I do want to talk to you about this off the air because I'm fat. I'm always fascinated by the reaction to the film because we we will show it to when we did the screening the first screening there's about 120 people in this uh, little theater or it was actually michael sterling's club where we did it and the seats about 120 and of 120 people we had about 50 different interpretations about what the ending of the film meant which was just like hog heaven for me because there are people who were livid and there were people who were just like, oh, and there were people just like, what? So it's really what you hope for when you, when you do something like that. The story is about a father who goes to great lengths to end a bullying situation at his son's school. That's, that's what, it, what it's about. I was bullied, but I was never bullied to that degree. And, and, uh, the, it came about because I was working with a brilliant uh, director named Cirrus Miracor uh, on a short film called Gratitude. And uh, we got along like a house on fire. We're great friends now. Introduced to him through by an actor named Christopher Meehan, who's a very, very funny uh, uh, fellow in addition to being a talented actor. He said, is there anything else you would like to do a short about? And I hadn't thought about it at all. And then when he mentioned it, I said, you know... Uh, bullying was right in the forefront then and sadly still is in many ways and I was thinking about the collateral victims of bullying not just the children that it happens to but the parents and the the sense of frustration that they must feel because I mean what's worse than hurting your child you know what's what's worse than that because I don't even have children Monica and I chose not to but I know how I feel about my nieces and nephews I can't imagine that heightened to the point, you know, of, of parenthood. So I just had the idea and I wrote the initial script in about two days and gave it to Cirrus and he really enjoyed it, had a, a number of suggestions for it. And then we worked on it together. He, Cirrus never took a writing credit, which is, which is a sin because he, it, it was co-created. We w- went through about 30 drafts for an 11 minute film and got it to where we wanted it to be, and it really connected with people. I like the fact that everything is not wrapped up in a little bow, and, and it's, it's, no, it's no, left... it is not. It's left to the audience to sort of figure out what... Yeah. So that's why when we get off the air, I'm very interested. Did you give a link for how people can find the film online? Uh, it's also available by going to uh, Paul Strolli's website. By the way, Strolli is S-T-R-O-I-L-I. The middle eye is silent. Yes. A very yeah. renaissance of yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. You've shown this at a few festivals, have you not? Yeah, we, we did very well in the festival thing. You know, the thing is, that's the life, of, and, and Roscoe, I'm sure you know, being the, the film buff that you are, festivals are the life of short films. Very few of them go any, any farther than that. A lot of the times, your short can be your advertisement for your feature, where they see, hey, look what they can do with, uh, thirty thousand dollars. Let's see what they can do with yeah. a little more than that. The other thing I noticed is, as we're doing the festival rounds and seeing them with other films, I also found out why most short films are two twenty-year-old guys talking in a field at night because <laughs> because it's expensive. I mean, we had a school. It's like the insurance. It's just like you're going to have a school bus. You need a million dollars in insurance. Yeah. You need insurance for a million. Oh, you want you actually want to put kids on the school bus? That's going to be two million. Oh, the bus has to move with the kids on it. That's going to be three million. It's crazy. Oh. It was also expensive because, A, we wanted to do it right, but also I insisted that it be union. I insisted mm. that it be a SAG project. And uh, Bless you, you for know, that. Just, uh, I yeah. wasn't going to... I wanted it all up front. You know, and, of course, it was SAG low-budget agreement. It's not like anyone made big bucks off of it, but yeah. I just... that. 
professionalism and that respect for what people do. Well, it's a, it's a remarkable short film. You don't leave humming a tune. And Let's <laughs> just say that. <laughs> yeah, there's no tap dancing at the end of it, Roscoe. I'm so sorry. Do you have a feature oh, film yes, coming? Oh, yes. We're working on it now. It's uh, The playwright is just finishing it up. Uh, my theater company in L.A., we did a play called Wake. Brilliant uh, piece with three strong female characters in one house. The main character is a mortician who becomes an agoraphobe after the death of her husband. We've never had as successful a play with Seaglass Theater as Wake, written by a brilliant Carrie Krim, very prominent playwright right now. And we knew that it would translate to film very well. So Cirrus and I are working on that for next year. The character, the main character, Molly, is just so you have your sort of dream people in your head, and she's yeah. a very. Um, She's a Laura Linney type of character. She's just, uh, it's that type of uh, wonderfully introspective, understated sort of thing. But it's a funny, dark, quirky, tremendously odd, but it's just going to be a great feature and a feature that we can do because it's small cast. It's not a number of locations. So we're very, very excited about that. Cirrus and I are working together again. When are you going into production? Uh, pro we're hoping for the spring of next year. But, you know, mm. everything hinges on financing and all yeah. that. But we actually have about half our funding. So yeah. we just got to get the other half. So cool. Um, well, good luck with that. I know it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's tough to get any art project off the ground. People see the beating and they're just like, next one's going to be a little lighter, right? No. A little lighter? <laughs> <laughs> did, did your mother say, hey, what, what, why, yeah. why is this yeah. so I go dark? to that well quite a bit. I do Charlotte's <laughs> voice a little too much. <laughs> uh, and Paul, we like to do something at the end of our podcast that we call the kiss of death. Okay. Which is a uh, tribute celebration to someone who has recently passed. Okay. Often we will uh, look at their life through a uh, obituary in the New York Times or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you want to hang around for that? I would love to. Fantastic. I would love to. I'm having a ball. This is an odd little piece because once you hear it, you'll go, well, why wasn't she a featured obituary in all the newspapers and why didn't our friend Marguerite Fox write this? This is phenomenal. Well, this is clearly written by one of her children. Um, <laughs> you see what you guys think of it. Metropolitan opera star Patrice Munsell, the youngest coloratura soprano to ever grace the stage of the Met, died at her New York Adirondack lakefront home recently. At 17 years old, Pat, as she was affectionately known, walked unassumingly onto the stage at the Metropolitan Auditions of the Air, the American idol of its day. In low-heeled shoes, white socks, school books tucked under her arm, she went into the electrifying pyrotechnics of the mad scene from Lucia de Lammermore. She was signed to a Met contract at once and thus also became the youngest singer ever to debut at the Metropolitan Opera. Her debut on December 4th, 1943 as Feline in Mignon received an ovation which lasted a full six minutes. Now that's wow. a star. That's an opera star. This beginning sparked a phenomenal career spanning 65 years, perhaps best known for the saucy role of Adele in Deflator Mouse. Uh, she stopped the show twice with ovations. Munsell performed at the Met 225 times. She became internationally renowned for a spectrum of major dramatic roles, La Boheme, La Traviata, Romeo and Juliet, Tales of Hoffman, Rigoletto, Cosi Fantuti, to name just a few of the 25 parts in her repertoire. One of the most valuable stars of the operatic world and of the Metropolitan Opera in particular, Mansell's success spilled over into several other arenas as well. Patrice's calling card were her beauty, a, a, a critic once said, the opera star that you could listen to with your eyes open. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, wow. Stunning voice, Meow. sensuality, dazzling personality, wit and charisma. She is deemed by many of the music world the most effervescent singer to ever sing, dance, romp, and kick across a stage. Patrice was regularly on the best dress lists. Ending her career as an opera singer in the late 1950s, Munsell transitioned easily to musical comedies, operettas, and television. She opened the State Theater at Lincoln Center in The Merry Widow, wowed audiences across the world in musicals such as Kiss Me Kate, Mame, the King and I, and The Sound of Music, in which she starred with her four children. 
Oh. How about that. With her handsome husband, I told you this was written by one of the kids, so with her handsome husband, Robert C. Schuler, as executive producer, they conceived and developed the Patrice Monsell Show, which aired on ABC from 1957 to 1958, an innovative variety show regularly featuring Mr. Tony Bennett. She appeared on such seminal shows of the time as The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, Dean Martin, Red Skelton, Jerry Lewis... There's another Jerry Lewis reference. <laughs> Mike Douglas, Merv Griffin, Perry Como, What's My Line, The Voice of Firestone, I've Got a Secret, Steve Allen, and The Jimmy Durante Show. This, this woman, like, had the chops and she had it all. Monsell made multiple appearances on other iconic shows, such as The Wild Wild West. Do you remember The Wild Wild yeah, West? Absolutely. With Robert, Robert, Robert Conrad. Conrad. Yeah. yeah where she guest starred as an opera singer held captive in a gilded cage. Because <laughs> you could look at her. You know, you don't put a homely lines. chick in a gilded cage. No, no. Remarkably, she began her musical journey as a child studying whistling in her hometown of Spokane, Washington. She performed whistling concerts and had an original goal of wanting to whistle for Disney. Her name spelled box office in seven different fields, opera, television, concerts, legitimate theater, movies, recordings, and Las Vegas. Is Las Vegas a legitimate field? I think... I think whichever, the field of Las Vegas. I think whatever child wrote you this You want to do stage, stretching. screen, or Vegas? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Her husband, once again, her handsome husband, chronicled their vivid and global life together in the book The Diva and I, My Life with Metropolitan Opera Star Patrice Mansell. Extraordinarily, in the midst of an astounding career, she gave birth to four creative children in the space of only six years. In private life, she was flamboyant, as noted by numerous magazines and press throughout the decades of coverage. Adventurous in every aspect, she was daring, fearless, funny, extremely loving and affectionate, snorkeled, snow skied, water skied, kayaked, fished, mountain climbed, ice skated, and was an accomplished poetess and painter. <laughs> all with her usual zest. She adored all animals, domestic and exotic. Of course she did. <laughs> In her own words, she loved life on a staggering scale. Our mother instilled in all of us a passion for life and taught us that there were no boundaries. Her incredibly creative nature was generously conveyed to us. She taught us to love and live large. Recently asked in an interview to describe herself in one word, Mansell said simply, fabulous. Fabulous. I, I know who she is. When the Game Show Network came on TV, they would show 50s game shows between 2 and 5 in the morning. And I would... And I would Someone needs a hobby! Uh, that was my <laughs> hobby! And I would record them and watch them like they were the Zapruder film. Like they were the most interesting things ever committed to video. And I was, ladies and gentlemen, Patrice Munsell. <laughs> and she's walking starring. back and to the left. Back, back and, and to, to the, the left. left. While she's water skiing and writing While poetry. She, I thought and she loving, was... And loving pets. And look, how could she not earn a news story. Now, you know, granted, one of your children is going to write an awfully flattering, right. uh, you know, obituary yeah. of you, but most of Where this we... is highly factual yeah. and certainly provable. I mean, yeah. you can yeah. look yeah. all of this. No. I mean, I could, like, I... you, you can hear the love of the child, no. but you can also just, I mean, the, the list of the credits is undeniable. Which, you if, you, if your mother had to write your obituary, would she say, my son who shamed the family <laughs> by creating a play yeah, about right, us? Right, right, right. <laughs> And forever incurred the wrath of his brother. So tell us about... He's dead to me. <laughs> dead. <laughs> that will be mine. You'll, you'll, have to, you'll have to vamp a little bit when you read mine. The people of, of that era, they're just the cream rose to the top. It's like the people that were on television because there were so few venues. And, and you look at like Gleason or Milton Berle or Ernie Kovacs or things like that, and those were the shows. And people, yep. women like this that just... I mean, all that she could do... 
and all those the film and the television and all that other stuff it's just like the, the performers were performers it's not like now as 7,000 channels it's like oh yeah he's the guy who mm-hmm. always plays the, the terrorist mm-hmm. or he's the guy who always plays the thug or whatever because all the niche uh, marketing and all that those, are, those were the, those were the, the stars those the, were the my, the, my biggest excitement ever seen a celebrity was when I saw Kitty Carlisle walking down Broadway in New York one year yes. and when she died and the, her obituary appeared they said there were t- there were times when anyone in America could watch Kitty Carlisle on TV seven nights a week yeah. because she was on three different game shows yeah. Yeah. and and she and Patrice you know the men wore tuxedos or nearly tuxedos and the women always wore evening gowns and I always thought, well, why is Kitty Carlisle wearing an evening gown at six o'clock in the evening? Because she's on her way to a cocktail party at Ma's Hearts, of course. <laughs> to which my mother would say, shut up, you big mo. <laughs> <laughs> and, cut, and cut your mo hair. <laughs> cut your mo hair and turn your pillow around. I don't care where the opening is. <laughs> Paul Strolley, thank you so very much for being our guest on Booth One today. Absolute joy. I had so much fun, and I'm so grateful to all of you for this. You're really delightful, and, and, and best of luck with Tony and Tina's wedding. Um, I'm you. definitely coming. Review us on iTunes, everyone. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Email us at alist at booth onecom And if you go to our website at www.booth-one.com and sign up for our mailing list, we'll send you a free guide to creating your own Booth One experiences. Some of that might include going to Tony and Tina's wedding and making a fool of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> for Booth One, this is Gary Zabinski. And I'm Roscoe. Saying keep listening and so long until next time. <laughs>